but really, I don't know who has ever driven or been in a car that someone else has driven to Adelaide from Sydney, like right across the country there. A few people have. It really is the most incredible drive. Usually when people say, this is an amazing drive, they mean because there's lots to see. This is an amazing drive because there is nothing to see, which I really found therapeutic. You know, I, I just sort of sat there, I didn't have to turn the wheel, just stared straight ahead and here we go. But as, as you drive, you, you look around you and it, it's sort of, it's an, an Australian experience. I think everyone should do it. Uh, maybe get someone else to drive and have a DVD player like my kids. But uh, as you look, there's just nothing. You, you're on the, on the plane, they call them the hay plains, and you look around and there's just sort of little tufts of sort of these strange grasses that no animal can eat, other than emus. There were hundreds of emus everywhere. But you look and you think, is that a tree? But it's just sort of like a gnarled stump that, that maybe was a tree one day. But then as you're driving along, every so often you see in the distance this incredible sort of swathe of green across in front of you. And what it is, is one of the rivers. It's like the Murray River or the Murrumbidgee. You know those rivers you learn about when you're at primary school? If you went to, anyway, you mightn't have learned about them like I did. But these, these rivers, these famous rivers, and as you see them, it's quite incredible because there is nothing and then suddenly there is something. And so as you look at the rivers, there's these incredible trees gum trees just growing out of the banks of these rivers. And I think they're more striking because you've driven for three hours and seen nothing until you see them. And at one point, we actually stopped, got out, walked around on the riverbank, and there was a koala in one of the gum trees, which I just thought was the most incredible thing in the world. My kids just wanted to get back in and continue the movie in the car. But it's, it's, and as I was doing, because you know, you know when you read a part of the Bible and then you go out and see something and it just brings a part of the Bible to life for you? As I, whenever I saw these massive gum trees growing out of the riverbanks, it just made me think of Psalm 1. Because I've been reading the Psalms in my own quiet times. So it just made me think of Psalm 1 in the Bible, which is why I got us to read it tonight. So, and I've put it up here for you. Uh, this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. I know I say there's lots of my favorite passages, but it's one of them. It might be one of a thousand, but it's one of them. So anyway, this is talking about the righteous person. This is talking about the person who follows the Lord. And it says, His delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside streams of water that bears its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. That is what the righteous person is. That's what they look like, he's saying. It's beautiful poetry. He's saying they are like a tree planted beside the stream of water. And as I say, besides being beautiful poetry. The, the reason I love these verses is they are just a wonderful picture of what I want for myself and what I want for every one of you. Uh, they are a wonderful picture of a growing believer. That's what it's a picture of. Uh, this person, the growing believer, is like a tree that grows on the banks of the Murray River. They're, they're just getting stronger and stronger in every way, taller, thicker, greener leaves, more fruit, whatever it is. And here's the thing. That is what God wants for you. If you want to ask the question, what does God want for me? There it is. That is what God wants for you. He wants you to be like a tree planted beside streams of water. He wants you to bear fruit in season. He, he wants your leaves 
to grow greener and greener and greener. He wants you to grow and grow. That is what God wants for you. The New Testament sort of takes that and and, and puts it in all sorts of different ways. It talks about God's desire for you is that you would grow up from being a Christian baby to being a Christian adult. That's one of the pictures the New Testament uses, growing up in faith and godliness. The New Testament talks about growing in our knowledge of God and of his love for us, growing to be more like Jesus. It uses this language of growing right through the New Testament. But the common theme is God does not want stagnant disciples. That is not God's desire. God's desire is for growth. God doesn't want tufts of grass in the desert. He wants trees on the banks of the river. Just look at some of these verses. I'm not going to go through them all in detail. Really, I just want you to get the vibe of it. But just look at some of these verses. They're either on your outline or on the screen. If we go to our next one, Damien. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. This is Paul, what he's praying for the Christians, for us, what he would pray for us. He says, we are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. That's what he wants. He wants us to bear fruit in godliness. He wants us to grow in the knowledge of God. That is God's desire for you. Uh, Look at what Peter says. This is Peter's prayer for the Christians, if that one can come up. He says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. That's his desire. And I love in 2 Thessalonians, where Paul is describing what he has loved seeing in these Christians he's met. And this is what he says. He says, we must always thank God for you, brothers. This is right, since your faith is flourishing and the love each one of you has for one another is increasing. Sometimes people ask the question, we actually thought about it on Invest last year, if you remember back, if you went on Invest, sometimes people ask the question, what is God's will for my life? And generally when we ask that question, we say, does God want me to be a lawyer or a minister? Does God want me to to get married or remain single? Or does he want me to marry Glenda or Gladys? Or, or, Or should I buy a unit or rent a house? They're the sort of questions we preoccupy ourselves with and we, and we think, what is God's will for me? Actually, all of those things are secondary concerns for God. God cares about everything. Even the hairs on your head are numbered. God cares about everything. But they're secondary cares for God. His great desire, what is God's will for you? First of all, that you would come to know Jesus. That's his first great desire. That you would come to know Jesus and find salvation in him. That is his first great desire. But then his second great desire, his will for you, is if you know Jesus, that you would grow, that you would flourish as a Christian, like the tree on the bank of the river. But what does that mean, to grow and to flourish as a Christian? Well, primarily it means we grow in our relationship with God as our Father. That's what it means, primarily. It's that we will come to know God, our Father, better and better and we will love him more and understand his love for us more. That's what it means to grow as a Christian. You saw that in those verses that we we looked at together there. It's that we would grow in our knowledge of God and what he's done for us. That's what it means to grow. But then that growth leads to other growth, a growth in godliness as we put put off sin and put off ungodliness off ourselves with God's help and put on godliness, 
and grow to be more like Jesus. That's what Christian growth is. We'll grow in our trust in Jesus more and we'll keep persevering in trusting him. That is what it means to grow and flourish as a Christian. And that is God's will for us. But here is the question. And this is the question for this whole term in our gospel teams and for the next three weeks in our sermons here at church. This is the question I want you to think about. That is God's will for you. So here's the question. Is that your will for you? And is it my will for me? Do you want to grow and flourish as a Christian? We know God wants you to grow and flourish as a Christian, but do you want to grow and flourish as a Christian? Because can I say that is not a given? That is not a given. At different times in our Christian lives, we go through ups and downs. It's my great prayer that there might be some people here who have only gone through ups in their Christian life. But I think if that's you, it's because you haven't been a Christian very long. You see, there are times where the river runs really deep and there are times where there are just little puddles in the bottom of the river. And even aside from that, even when sort of things are going well and and we're part of church and all that sort of thing, often, at best, we can be apathetic about growing. That is just the reality of the Christian life. For many of us, we have a sort of theoretical assent I would like to grow as a Christian. Yes, that's right. That's what I would like to do. But actually, I'm quite comfortable in my current state. I think for many Christians, we have a life cycle that we sort of go through in our Christian life. This isn't the Bible speaking for this little part. This is just my experience speaking, really. So take it as that. But what often happens is we have a massive growth spurt when we become a Christian. For me, that was in my first year at uni. I became a Christian and then I just devoured everything. I just wanted to know the Bible better. I was really, really annoying for my minister because there was a Bible study on one night. I said, can I go to the Bible study the other night as well? Because, yeah, I know they're studying the same part of the Bible. We might learn something new on Thursday night that I haven't learned on Wednesday night. Can I do that course? Can I listen to that talk? And, And when you become a Christian, you have that zeal, that desire to grow and you have this initial sort of spurt of growth. That might have been for you, if you grew up in a Christian home, which for many of you, what a great blessing. It might be, there might be a point as a teenager or as a young adult or sometime where you owned your faith for yourself and you have this sort of growth spurt. But for every Christian, that growth spurt stops at some point. And you see, at some point, it might last for two years, it might last for three years, it might last for four years, it might last for 10 years, I don't know how long, but at some point we level out our zeal diminishes, or we hit some roadblocks in life. Big stuff happens and we start to question, we start to think and say, hang on, what's happening here? And, And we just sort of dry out like the tree in the desert. At some point, every Christian hits a dry patch. The gospel just doesn't excite us as much anymore and we stop growing. It's like Jesus talks about, in the parable of the seeds and the soils, our second reading from tonight. Do you remember we looked at that passage last year when we were looking at Mark's gospel? When I preached on that passage last year in Mark 4, I had more convert people coming to talk to me than after any other sermon I've preached in 13 years here. That passage strikes a chord with us because it's so true of our experience. 
That's why I read it for, I got it read again tonight, just sort of trigger it off in our memories. Jesus says some people will sort of sprout really quickly and then fade away. Isn't that true of your Christian experience? There have been people you've known who have just gone, yeah, this Jesus stuff is great, but then for some reason, whatever it is, after that initial burst of growth, worries have hit them, issues have come, and suddenly there's nothing left. And they just look back as that little phase they went through when they were going to church for a couple of years. Their Christian faith just seems to be gone. But for those with real faith, where where the seed has actually taken root in the soil, something else happens. Jesus says, actually, for many of us, we don't just go and bear 30 times or 60 times or 100 times fruit. What happens is the weeds of this world grow up around us and stop us growing. The the worries of the world or sometimes the good things of the world. We just get caught up in other things, other passions, and and the plant that is our Christian faith stays stunted and small. If you ever want to see an example of this, just come and look at my backyard. I I have this problem with gardening, which is I can only do it once every six months. That is my problem. So what I do is I go out in the backyard and I weed everything, spend a whole day weeding, and I plant some plants. And I go, that was a job well done. I'll see you in six months. And then I go back out there, and there's just the same amount of weeds six months later. And so what do I do? I pull all the weeds out. But sometimes, sometimes there's nothing left other than weeds. But sometimes the plant is still there. I'd totally forgotten it. Did I plant tomatoes? Because there's a tomato plant there under all the weeds. And it's stunted, and it's little, but there's this little tomato on it. See, it's still alive. And that's what Jesus is saying. This person hasn't stopped believing that the plant is still there alive. One time, I thought I'd planted cucumbers and this vine came up. I thought, it's actually working. And I took in the cucumber to Victoria and she said, that's a pumpkin. (laughs) And it had grown out of the compost heap itself. But there you go. You see, that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, the weeds of the world crowd us out. We're still believing. Still believe in Jesus. We're still saved. But we're not growing. Because it's all just been taken over. We've lost our joy. We've lost our zeal. And sometimes that happens because of something dramatic. Sometimes some massive event happens in our life. And that's what causes it. But more often, we don't even really notice the weeds growing and stopping us. We don't notice it. And in fact, we actually quite like the weeds. What happens is we've actually just got caught up in the things of this world rather than in growing. See, for many of us, we're just sort of comfortable not growing. In the book we're looking at, and can I say, if I haven't said it already, if you haven't bought a copy, just buy a copy. Talk to Troy tonight. This is a great book, and I want everyone to read it. This is how he puts it. Look at this. Tell me if you think it's true. The truth is that most of us... He's talking about the Christians in his church. He's a minister over in England. He says, the truth is that most of us are quite content with how things are, that God saved us, that he loves us, and that he'll come back and live with us, and that's great. We're happy with that. That's enough for us. We're standing still, and that works for us. Is that true? I think that's true for a lot of Christians. In fact, I don't just think it. I know it's true because I talk to a lot of Christians across our church, and I know it's true for many of us, especially if you have been a Christian for any length of time. 
One of the reasons I love coming to 6.30 church is because there's a lot of new Christians here, which isn't always the case in all congregations. One of the reasons I love coming to 6.30 church is because I love seeing the zeal of newly converted Christians. And my prayer is always, let that zeal rub off on those of us who've been Christians longer so that we will be like new believers every day. That's my hope. But here's the thing. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, at some, if it's not you now, at some point it will be. I'm not wanting to be negative. I'm just pointing out reality. You, you might feel like that now. I'm not going to ask people to show hands, but you might, you might say, actually, that's me now. Or you will feel it at times because it's just the reality of the Christian life. And the first thing I want to say about that is, if that's you, if you're someone who's going, do you know what, I don't think I've grown in a long time. I think I'm sort of like that tomato plant in Phil's backyard. If that's you, I want to say, don't let that debilitate you. Don't let that send you into a spiral of questioning and doubt. Sometimes people say, I don't feel like I'm growing as a Christian. Maybe my faith's not real. Maybe Jesus, you know, maybe this isn't all worth it, all that sort of thing. And you need to always remember, you are saved by what Jesus has done for you, not by how you feel at the moment. Please get this right, because I think this is the biggest misunderstanding of modern Christians. You are saved by what Jesus has done for you, not how you feel about it. You see, it doesn't matter how close you feel to Jesus, he has saved you. He has died for you. He loves you. Jesus will return to bring you into his new creation. That is totally by grace. Don't fall into the trap. I I stress this because there's a danger in me preaching a sermon like tonight where I'm going to say some pretty hard things about what we need to do over the next three weeks. There's a danger people go, I don't match up with that. I'm not a Christian. That's the wrong response. That's the wrong response. Don't fall into that trap of judging how God feels about you on the basis of how you feel about God. How you feel will go through ups and downs. How God feels about you is constant. He loves you. He has sent his son to die for you. So if you don't feel like you're growing as a Christian, what I want to say to you first of all is don't let that debilitate you uh, and make you question everything. But on the other hand, please do not accept it as normal. I think too many Christians accept it as normal. And that's what he's talking about in that quote there, where we just say, I'm happy where I am. I know Jesus loves me. That'll do me. When he returns, it'll all be good. Right now, I'll just get on with life. I want to say, don't accept that as normal, because that is not what God wants for you. It is not what he wants for you. More than that, the New Testament is actually very, very clear that no one ever stands still as a Christian because we live in a fallen world and 24 hours a day seven days a week we are bombarded with messages that say forget about God forget about Jesus just live for this world don't worry about heaven just get your treasures here focus here that is the constant message and what that means is if you stand still you will go backwards it's just the reality the Christian life is like one of those inclinators. You know those inclinators that just sort of, except it's moving down backwards like this. And so if you, you've got to just walk at a certain speed to even maintain where you are as a Christian. 
So, so when we talk about don't stand still as a Christian, you, you must grow as a Christian. It's not because I want you to maximise your potential or some other self-help nonsense. It's not just about being the best disciple of Jesus you can be, though that's wonderful. It's actually the way you persevere. It is the way you ensure that you are standing firm in the faith when Christ returns. So, how do we move forward? How do we grow? If we want to grow, how do we do it? Well, on the one hand, we don't do it. God grows us, is the first point. So look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. It says, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you are someone who has turned from your sins and trusted in Christ alone for your salvation, then God is at work in you. His spirit is in you and he is working to refine you. He is working to grow you. That's the reality. But the funny thing with the Bible is, with the way the Bible talks about it, is the way God grows you is through you growing yourself. The Bible holds these two things in tension. It says, on the one hand, God is at work in you. And then when it says, well, how is he doing that? It says, well, it's as you grow, as you work at growing. So in one breath, the New Testament says, God is at work in you. And then it says, you work hard at growing. So just a little bit later than this, in Philippians, again, chapter 3, he says, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. I've picked that bit out, but it's part of this whole thing where he says, what you've got to be as a Christian is like an athlete who's trying to get to the Rio Olympics. You have to have a single-minded devotion to growing as a Christian. He says, the Christian life is like a marathon race. You've got to put in the effort. Yes, God is at work, but you are at work to grow. He says you need that sort of single-minded devotion to the goal that the athlete has. Sometimes I say I want something and then I do absolutely nothing to achieve it. I don't know if you're the same. One of my dreams in life is to be a really good golfer. It's one of my great desires. And anyway, the problem is I'm not willing to practice regularly or even play regularly. So I play golf twice a year and every time I walk out I think maybe I'll be a good golfer this time as I hit the ball out into someone's front window or something like that. I think, no, it hasn't happened. What's wrong with this? Do I really want to be a good golfer? No, obviously not. Or I'd say, I might join a club and play more than twice a year. I might actually practice putting. I might want to lose weight. I might want to, but I don't change what I eat and I don't exercise. Am I going to lose any weight? No. So do I want to lose weight? No. <laughs> you, you see, that if I wanted to lose weight, I'd change what I eat. I'd stop drinking Coke. I'd exercise more. Well, if you want to grow as a Christian, if you actually answered, yes, I do want to grow as a Christian, but then you say, but I'm not going to do the equivalent of regular putting practice or exercise or changing what I eat, then you are not going to grow. That is just the reality. Wishful thinking achieves nothing. If you want to grow, you need to do what God calls on you to do. You have to decide to do it. It's no different to anything else. And the key to Christian growth is no different to any other area of life. It is discipline 
and commitment. Simple as that. As Nike puts it, just do it. So finally, what is our equivalent of practice and exercise? Well, there are three keys to an effective Christian growth regime, and they are not rocket science. This is the funny thing. People are always looking, you know, like with, it's like with losing weight. People are always looking for a new diet. You don't need a new diet. You just need to eat less. Or a new exercise machine, an ab cruncher that they see on late night television. If it was any good, it wouldn't be on late night television. You don't need an ab cruncher. You need to go for a walk, you, you know. Well, in the same way, there's no, nothing new under the sun. There are no new ways to grow. It's been the same ways to grow for 2,000 years. It is by reading the Word of God. It's by praying. And it's by spending time in fellowship with like-minded brothers and sisters in Christ. They are the three keys to an effective Christian growth regime. It's not meant to be complicated. Over the next two weeks, I'm going to get very, very practical about those last two. I've been convicted in recent times that a great problem in our church and in the wider church is that many Christians do not know how to pray. That many of us just do not know how to pray. And so next week I'm going to get really, really practical about learning how to pray as a Christian, how to actually devote ourselves to prayer. On the third week, I'm going to talk very, very practically about how we can be a part of the fellowship and what it means and how you can grow by being a part of the fellowship of believers here. Uh, But tonight, for my last little segment, I'm going to talk very briefly and practically about how to read the Bible more. I don't think I need to convince this crowd, if you've been around St. George North for any length of time, I don't need to convince you of the authority of the Word of God. If If you haven't got that, if you've been here more than a month, then you need to listen. Learn to listen, I think. You all know 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for? Got the first couple and then it sort of went into a... But you get the point. You all know that, that this is the word of God. That's what it is. It's the word of God. You know Hebrews 4.12. You mightn't realize you do, but you do. That the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. I don't need to I might need to convince some of you, but for the vast majority, I don't need to convince you of those truths. You know that this book is God speaking to you. You know that this is not just a manual for life. This is the very words of the God of the universe explaining to you how he has loved you and what he wants for you and what he wants you to do. That's why if you know that, That's why reading the Bible regularly, daily if possible, is so important. See, being a Christian is not like golf or insert whatever it is you want to be good at. It's not. It's not a skill you learn, in which case you would read the Bible, learn how to do it, and then just open it up again when you hit a troublesome patch, like whether you're hitting it into the neighbor's front window or something like that. Being a Christian is not about learning some skills, it's about having a real and living relationship with the God of the universe as your father. That's what being a Christian is. The Bible is not a manual you turn to when you have a question. The Bible is God speaking to you. The Bible is God opening himself up to you. You as an individual and us together, you. God opening himself up to share with us who he is, what he has done for us, what he will do for us in the future, 
and what he wants for us. Just think about it this way for a moment. If you have a relationship with me, if you consider me a really close friend, but the extent of our communication is you listening to someone else give a 25-minute summary of what I've said every week. Do we have a very close relationship? That's the extent of it. You never listen to me speak directly. You listen to someone else give a 25-minute summary of what I've said. That's what a sermon is, by the way. The sermon is not as important as the Bible readings. I hope you know that. Bible reading is the most important thing. Reading the actual Word of God. You see, reading the Bible is not meant to be a chore. It's not meant to be an obligation. It's not meant to be a law that I've got to do it or I'll get in trouble. It is a privilege. It's how we listen to the God of the universe. That's what it is. So how can we get better at it? How can we actually spend time daily in the Word, meditating on it day and night? Well, I think it depends on whether your issue is how you do it or wanting to do it. Can I ask you, just for a moment, on your own, don't talk to the person around you, just on your own, be honest with yourself. Unless, you, unless you're the person who never struggles to read the Bible, you read it every day, you know, and, and that sort of thing. I want you to honestly say to yourself, is my problem... I don't know how to or that I don't really want to. Which is it? Just put some thought into that. Just for yourself, because I'm going to talk about both and I want you to be ready to listen harder on the one that particularly applies to you. If both apply to you, then that's great. Listen to it all. Because I think it depends. You see, I think I have got this wrong for the last 20 years. I think I've got this wrong. I thought, I've always thought, everyone's problem is motivation. Because that's my problem. My problem is actually wanting to. And so I've sort of always thought everyone else is like me, that's their problem. But actually I think I've discovered in recent times for a lot of people, they've tried to read the Bible and it's just been really hard. And they haven't gotten anything much from it. And so it's sort of gone back out on the verge like the ab cruncher you see as you drive around at council clean-up time. See, sometimes I say from up here at the front, Reading the Bible is really easy. You've heard me say it. And that is true in the sense that any person can pick up an easy English version of the Bible, read Mark's Gospel, and get the main point. Jesus died for your sins. He rose again. Trust in him for salvation. Anyone can read that. I I don't care who you are. You can read Mark's Gospel and get that. But for a lot of people, reading the Bible can be really, really hard. If you're not a natural reader especially, if you're a natural reader, you just sort of devours books and reads all the time. It, it sort of comes easily, but for many of us, that's not the case. And even if you are, the Bible is 66 books written in three ancient dead languages, translated into English, using lots of words you don't use in any other context, and written 2,000 years ago. It's not going to be easy. It's not like reading the Daily Telegraph. It's not meant to be. See, we shouldn't just expect, I'll pick it up and it'll be easy. I think I've made that mistake over the year. But I think for many of us, we've tried to read the Bible for ourselves, not got much from it, and sort of given up. If that is you, I want to say, please do not be satisfied with that. As I said before, this is God speaking to you. I want to say to you, if that is you, let's make a commitment to work hard to learn how 
to read the Bible. That's what we need to do. So if you are someone who struggles to know how to read the Bible, then I want to say to you, let's do something about it. You need to get equipped. And here are two things I want to strongly suggest. I'd love you to write them down if this is you, or write them down for someone else who you want to help. And the first is, there's no shortcuts. The first is, and this is the best thing, find a more mature Christian brother or sister and go up to them and say, will you meet with me and teach me to read the Bible? That's the best thing to do. Find a more mature Christian brother or sister and say, will you meet with me and teach me how? Maybe once a week, once a fortnight, before church on a Sunday night, I don't care when you do it. You might have been a Christian for 20 years, by the way, but you've been too proud to ever admit, I just, I just never read the Bible. I want to say to you, go and find someone you trust, or come and talk to me and I'll find someone for you, and say, teach me. Read the Bible with me and show me how. Second thing I want to say, take advantage of those two courses that Troy advertised before that we offer all the time. Do the Christianity Explained course. Because in Christianity Explained course, you read Mark's gospel and get to ask every question you've got. That is the best way to learn how to read the Bible. And do the introduction to the Bible course. Because it gives you that overview to understand, oh, that's where the Psalms fit in. That's what Revelation's about. That's what Ezekiel's about. Do the course. If you struggle to be able to read and understand the Bible, then please just do those things. Because I want to be very frank here. Don't be one of those people who says, I struggle. And then when someone says, well, what have you done about it? You say, oh, nothing. That's just silly. It's wasting everyone's time. The only thing stopping you is you doing it. There's no, nothing else in the way. The only thing stopping you is you making the time to do it. And I don't think there is anything more important than learning how to hear from God. I've got a friend who never reads. He has never read a novel in his life. It's a little bit scary because he's a school teacher. So, but he has never read anything in his life. He teaches sports, so it's okay. Uh, but I love it. And I love it. I've known him for over 20 years. We were, we're, we're very close friends. And I love it because people give him books at Christmas and birthdays, and he gives them to me. It's great. I just get a permanent supply of things. I don't have to buy anything because I just get whatever. What have, what have you got this year? And he gives them to me. It's great. When he became a Christian, and he still does this, he hates reading. But when he became a Christian, he just started devouring the Bible. And he just loves reading the Bible. And he... He didn't teach us to read. He's, he's very smart. He can read. He just doesn't like it. But he learnt to read. So he hates reading novels, but he loves reading the Word of God. And why do I tell you that story? It's because don't say to me, I'm not a reader. If, if you are in love with someone, excuse me, getting a bit soppy here, and they write you a love letter, you'll learn to read. <laughs> well, God has written it to you. So you'll learn to enjoy reading it if your heart is in love with God and understands his love. See, the problem is with us. For many of us, though, the issue is more about motivation. We have good intentions, but week by week goes by and the Bible sits there closed. Or on the back seat of the car, we didn't even get it out after church on Sunday or Bible study during the week. Well, first of all, I want to say the only way out of that cycle is to just do it. There's no easy answers. Because in a strange irony, what makes you want to read the Bible? knowing God better. You don't 
naturally want to read the Bible. It's because I want to know God better. So now I, I want to read the Bible. But how do you know God better? By reading the Bible. It's this strange circle where the thing that makes you want to read the Bible more is reading the Bible more. If you just wait to be motivated, it won't happen. So I want to say to you, just do it. But how do we get into better habits? Here's a few thoughts as we finish. And again, if this is your issue, write these down. My first tip, start with a small attainable goal. If you currently never read the Bible for yourself, set a small goal. See, I'll say I'll pick two mornings in the week where I'm going to write in my diary and set my alarm and I'm going to get up and read the Bible for 15 minutes. Set a small attainable goal. What often happens is people start with this massive goal. They hear a sermon like this and they say, yeah, I'm going to read the Bible more. And so they say, I'm going to read the Bible in a year. I'm going to read the Bible every morning for one hour. And then after, by Wednesday, it's out on the verge with the ab cruncher. You know what I mean? Because if we fail. We set ourselves up to fail. No, set a small goal, then achieve it, and then gradually increase it. If you currently read the Bible once or twice a week and it's sporadic, well, why not say, why, won't I, why don't I try and make it a hard two times a week? And I'll actually achieve it, and I'll lock it in, and I'll do it. See, intending to do it twice a week and doing it once is better than intending to do it seven times a week and doing it never. Isn't that right? It's a lot like exercise. Second tip, start with an easier part. Again, I'm amazed by a number of people hear a sermon like this. They come to me and say, yeah, Phil, I'm going to read Ezekiel this week. I'm going to read Revelation. Start with the easy bits. Why make it hard for yourself? If you're really struggling, read Mark's gospel. Just read Mark's gospel or read a psalm every morning. Third thing, don't feel you've got to plumb the depths every time. It's great if you do and aim for that. But it's okay to just get a simple point out of the passage. Read it, get one thing, and then pray about it. Uh, I suggest to people three simple questions. I think we've got them on the screen. Easy three-question Bible study. Read a little passage and say, what have I learned about God? You could end it there. But then I say, what have I learned about Jesus? And what have I been challenged or encouraged by? It's the easiest Bible study you can do. Anyone can do it. Fourth thing, use a resource if it's helpful. There's nothing wrong with using Bible reading notes or a book or Bible reading, something like that. But my one thing is make sure you read the Bible and not the book. If you're going to read one thing, read the Bible rather than a book about the Bible. It's like people who say, yeah, I listen to your sermon podcast, Phil. And I say, stop it. Don't do it. I say, what are you talking about? I say, well, are you reading your Bible? That's what I want you to do. Read the passage, then listen to the sermon. But if you're only doing one thing, just read the passage. Fifth point, tie it to prayer. Pray for help. Pray for motivation. Pray for help in understanding the Bible. Pray about the things you've learned, even if it's simple as, Heavenly Father, thank you for what I've learned about your love today. Help me to share it with one other person. Amen. Heavenly Father, help me. Thank you for reminding me that Jesus is going to return one day. Help me to live in the light of that. Amen. And what you often find is those short prayers will then expand out into longer prayers and will actually help you to keep reading the scriptures. Always tie your Bible into prayer, make it a two-way conversation. Those are just some basic tips. But the big thing I want you to do now is to do something. If you are happy with how much you read God's word, then you now have a leave pass. Do nothing now. Sit and think about 
the weather or write on your feedback slip how much you like my shirt or something. I don't know, whatever you want. But for everyone else, I want you now to take a minute to sit there, there's pens all around and write on your outline, not on the feedback slip, it's not for me, it's for you, and say, here's something I'm going to do. Here's something I'm going to do. I'm going to try and read the Bible on Monday and Thursday mornings this week. I'm going to start reading Mark's gospel. I'm going to ask someone. There's a guy at church who I think I could ask. I'm going to ask Fred if he might teach me how to read the Bible. I'm going to do the introduction to the Bible. Whatever it is, but do something. That's what I want from you this morning. I want to ask you, just think about it hard. Don't talk about it with anyone. Jot down some thoughts.